pre-COVID in-person was really seen many times as the default, mm-hmm. right? Or as the, you know, kind of preferred option where it, you know, were to be available. And I think what we're seeing now is a planned kind of intentionality around how format or modality can be used. I'm Jeff Cobb. I'm Salisa Steele, and this is the Leading Learning Podcast. This is episode 293 of the Leading Learning Podcast, which features Courtney Vidal, the Vice President of Learning at the Association for Talent Development. ATD is the largest association for professionals who develop others in the workplace, and its membership reflects individuals from all over the world in all industries and sectors. ATD is focused on advancing talent development, convening a community of people who do talent development work, and supporting them with knowledge and resources. ATD offers research and content in many forms, including books, magazines, podcasts, courses, conferences, webinars, and two certifications, the Associate Professional in Talent Development and the Certified Professional in Talent Development. Courtney describes herself as a learning leader for learning leaders. She and Salisa talk about how the pandemic forced us to rethink in-person learning as the default, about the need for equitable experiences in hybrid learning, about competencies, capabilities, and a future focus for the learning profession, and about the skyrocketing importance of intentionality in learning design. Salisa spoke with Courtney in February 2022. I'd like to start with the pandemic, which is ongoing as you and I are talking. And I just want to ask, and I know it's a really big, broad question, but how has COVID impacted ATD's work and the work of those that you're serving? Yeah, it is a, it is a broad question, but it's also the most relevant question that we're all grappling with right now. I'll start with the profession itself. Obviously, you know, where um, the workplace is in a physical sense and the needs that the employees and organizations have has, you know, massively shifted. And then, of course, you factor in, you know, kind of all of the societal impacts that have been driven by COVID. And it really has, you know, kind of changed just about everything that learning and development professionals are sort of having to respond to and the ways that they are ensuring that the employees and the workforces that they serve have the skills they need in order to not just maintain business continuity, but also, you know, to really get ready for that kind of post-pandemic future that we all hope is near on the horizon, right? One of the things that we we saw with COVID was the idea that training is something that is maybe an afterthought after an, a business initiative is launched. We really saw that kind of dissipate in favor of really solidifying that learning is essential to the work that is happening inside of organizations. There are many pockets of that happening in the broader workplace environment, to be sure, pre-COVID. But I think COVID was really beneficial in the way that it solidified that 
learning and development was, you know, really at the forefront of ensuring that business continuity and and maintaining kind of the day-to-day operations as people maybe had to shift to a remote work environment, but also, as I said, you know, really bringing the employees together to figure out, you know, how are we going to address the changes in, in, you know, the environment that in some cases are really challenging for many businesses. For ATD specifically, we also lost the ability to bring our learners together, you know, physically, but it also, you know, really sped up a lot of the work that we were already doing toward, you know, developing digital development solutions, which, you know, for us has been where we are getting a lot of our energy and excitement and really see that beneficial, you know, aspect of COVID. If you can say that there have been beneficial aspects. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we can certainly hope, right, that something that's brought so much pain and suffering, uh, hopefully also will bring some opportunities, um, which you're speaking to around, you know, I think just the emphasis on learning has in many ways been a benefit that has come out of, of the past couple of years and the the speeding up of the digital adoption and just the comfort level of so many people with technologies. I, I do see that as as a positive, even though it does feel sometimes odd to to say that. Now, kind of related to to COVID's impact, and you know, I think part of what you were talking there around you know kind of losing some of the in person and speeding up your digital development. I mean. What do you think is going to happen with hybrid and and blended learning going forward? What role do you think in-person learning will have, you know, once it's safer to to meet again together in in person? You know, for better or worse, I think pre-COVID in-person was really seen many times as the default, right? Or as the, you know, kind of preferred option where it, you know, were to be available. And I think what we're seeing now is a planned kind of intentionality around how format or modality can be used. And within that, really identifying what are the benefits or the uniquenesses of each of those formats or environments. And oftentimes that leads to a blended you know, learning experience, because it's really about what are the learning outcomes I'm trying to deliver for the participant, and then figuring out the most effective way to do that. And if you're coming with that perspective, inevitably, you're going to be making recommendations or decisions around an integrated kind of solutions approach. One example of that is, you know, in an in-person environment, how can the learner interact with their device to engage with digital resources and content to really maximize the learning as it's happening and set them up for what we really are always striving to do, which is maximize learning transfer. I also think it's about intentionality in figuring out how to elevate the learning experience itself. So, you know, one of the things I'm frequently saying is that if we're going to get people out of, you know, their kind of day-to-day where there are, you know, kind of unprecedented amounts of challenges and sometimes constraints. And if we're going to compel individuals who may be working at home to come back into the in-person classroom, I think we have to be, as learning organizations, thinking about new ways to offer the type of experience that people will be looking for, you know, when they're coming together. So whether that's optimizing kind of opportunities for network or that 
human connection element, or just, you know, really planning with intention for the time that you have together and what needs to be delivered there versus in, in your other digital opportunities. I think that's really, really critical. We've been talking for a long time about the flipped classroom and, and really at its core, that's about ensuring that when you are together as a community, that what is happening there is the most appropriate kind of discussions or experiences to drive toward that larger learning outcome. And it sounds in what you've been talking about so far that, that that's all sort of part of um, what I would tend to describe as, as blended learning, right? It's how to take advantage of these multiple modalities in person, online, and what content or what activities do you do in each of those modes? What what are your thoughts about hybrid? And for me, hybrid is, you know, this idea of you have some people in person and you have some people um, participating virtually. Do you have thoughts on kind of where we're headed with that? Yeah, it's a great question because it is, I think it will become continually more relevant as we end up maybe in more situations where our workday is happening in a way where not everyone is there together physically, right? So what will cascade out of that is how are we going to deliver learning hybrid fashion to people that are there physically and those that may not be? So yeah, we are asking a lot of those same questions. And I think based on lessons learned, one of the biggest challenges is is around really delivering an equitable experience and a consistent experience for both audiences. You know, I talked a minute ago about um, the in-person, you know, the paradigm of kind of in-person being seen as the preferred place where learning could happen, whether or not you, you know, agree or disagree with that. And, and, you know, of course, there are many nuances, as I just spoke to. I think that one risk of hybrid is, you know, you have the people who are there physically kind of really driving that experience and the creation of a sense of disconnect with people who are not. I think that we've never had better technology to solve for that. And really, it comes down to where it may be necessary. It's about intentional planned design. I'm really making sure that we're considering those learning outcomes, how the application will be designed and executed upon assessment. You know, how will that learner have an opportunity to demonstrate, receive feedback, all of those things that are really core to a successful learning opportunity. It has to be planned equally for both audiences. And, you know, I would sort of take the hard line of saying, if that's not possible, then that may be where hybrid may not be the best option. Well, I appreciate that focus on intentionality. And then I like that added dimension of of equity, of being equitable, and then perhaps that being a, a way that helps you make decisions. If you can't be equitable, then perhaps a hybrid solution doesn't fit in that context. If you're looking for a learning technology partner who can help you with online, blended, and hybrid offerings, check out WebCourseWorks. WebCourseWorks is a learning technologies company with an ever-evolving learning management system, CourseStage. CourseStage LMS is leveraged by organizations of all sizes to build a learning business and track education outcomes for proven success. Download the WebCourseWorks guide, Four Ways an LMS Can Help Build a Revenue-Generating Learning Business, and learn how your organization can leverage a learning management system to generate revenue for your learning practice. 
Get the guide at webcourseworks.com slash four hyphen LMS hyphen revenue hyphen models. You can find a link to the WebCourseWorks guide in the show notes for this episode at leadinglearning.com slash episode 293. Now, back to Salisa's conversation with Courtney. I know that ATD offers certifications. You yourself are a CPTD, I believe, a Certified Professional in Talent Development. Yes. So, great. Well, so I would hope that you would talk a little bit about the role that you see certifications and perhaps other kinds of credentials playing in learning and talent development. And in particular, if there are any sort of shifts or trends that you're seeing, I would love to hear about those. Yes, thank you, Salisa. I am a proud holder of the CPTD certification. And, you know, I think that speaks to the fact that I believe that credentials and certifications are really critical. I look at it from the perspective of today, more than ever, there are so many ways to acquire knowledge, get information, Google something that you're looking for in order to answer a question that you might have on the job or get up to speed on something. Um, So that's sort of just, you know, available. I think where the value of certifications and credentials comes in is just really about establishing a standard and then giving people an opportunity to validate that they've worked toward and ultimately met that standard. And that isn't something that is or should be easy to do. And so I think it represents sort of a different level of consideration that someone has taken. And so there's an aspirational element or a growth element to that. And, you know, really setting that bar of, you know, where we want a particular industry to be, it's about professionalization or where, you know, an individual wants to go depending on their role or goal and providing an opportunity for them to learn what they need to learn, convene, oftentimes convene with a community of people, whether that's through a formal learning event or going through the certification process. Oftentimes we hear that that's one of the most valuable parts of getting a certification is is building that community of people who are going through the same process. It has that element of, you know, really bringing up a professional or an entire industry. And so, and there may not be any that come to mind, but are there any kind of recent shifts or trends in credentials or in certifications that that you've taken note of or that you think listeners might want to take note of? I think what we're seeing is that with LinkedIn and other sources of, you know, kind of information about what skills or experiences an individual has, it's just that people are really wanting to not only learn what they need to learn and achieve their professional goals and build a development path to get there, but it's also really about that validation and that sharing. Certainly, a lot of that is showing up in the shift towards digital badging. And, you know, a huge part of that is is really about being able to reflect the work that you've done, the experiences that you have, but also the skills that you've acquired, which is, you know, kind of only beneficial and empowering to the individual, in particular, as you consider the trends that we're starting to see where many people are reconsidering what they 
want out of their work. And that's, you know, led to what we're calling the great resignation. Part of that is really going to necessitate learning new skills and then having an opportunity to show and share those skills so that, you know, it, it is it is more widely known to prospective employers or other individuals who you might be looking to, to help you achieve your professional goals. I'm just struck by in how many of your responses, you know, this aspect of social and community and, um, you know, interaction with others has, has come up even in terms of what we value with a in-person learning to some extent, or what we might need to emphasize more as we're kind of looking to add it back in. And even with the the certifications and that idea of the sharing, which of course means you're sharing it with others. So there's that social dimension there. ATD has a talent development capability model that caught my eye because we have a learning business maturity model. Models tend to catch my attention. Would you just talk a little bit about that model and maybe how it came about? Absolutely. Um, I'm a big fan of models too, Salisa. So I can definitely appreciate what you're saying. And, and that's why when I had an opportunity to support the development of our latest model, I jumped at the chance to do that. And it was a really rewarding process to go through. ATD, by the way, has been doing competency models of the talent development professional and the various iterations of the naming of our profession. Um, at one point, it was called training. And we have evolved to expand the scope of our profession. Um, to be uh, to encompass much more than training. And our competency models over that 40-year period have definitely evolved as well to encapsulate the kind of expanded areas that professionals need to kind of know, know about. Our competency model, or the talent development capability model, as we call it, answers the question, what do talent development professionals need to know and do in order to be successful? We launched it in 2020, and it represents a, a major research effort where we go out and ask our profession, what do you do? What skills do you need to do in order to be effective in your job? And how will that sort of change or evolve? in the coming years. We had over 3,000 people participate in the capability study for our model and ultimately then worked through analyzing all of that information with a body of experts and volunteers and practitioners and people who helped us kind of synthesize all of that information into what is a model or a visual representation of the knowledge and skills that talent development professionals need, um, not only today, but it is because it, it is future oriented. It, it, it really intentionally kind of helps us look at where is the field going and how are competency requirements changing and evolving as the field and the broader world is changing. So you mentioned that your organization's focus has evolved over time. You mentioned sort of the, the transformation from focus on training to, to talent. And then you've been mentioning competency models. And I, I, I think that sort of an earlier iteration of this was actually called a competency model. Now it's a capability model. Would you just comment on kind of that distinction Absolutely. Thank you for that question, because I know I've been using both both terms. By definition, competence is really about having 
the knowledge and skills to perform a job, right? Whereas if you look definitionally at capability, it's more growth-oriented or aspirational in nature. And it's it's really about kind of a, implying a desire to grow or achieve toward a, a new future state. And so when we were going through the process of doing the research and building our latest model, we heard a lot of feedback from the network of experts um, that we were working with that competence had connotations that really sort of lended themselves for people to think about a minimum kind of requirement, whereas the word capability felt in line with its you know definition, felt more in line with you know, kind of the the nature of the model that I spoke to, which is that it's not just the skills you need today. It's really about the skills you need today in order to be successful in the future as well. And so capability model felt like um, a sort of natural evolution in naming. Um, and we have received excellent feedback from our members and our learners and people who are engaging with the model. So it does seem to be resonating. Well, I wanted to ask you next about competency models and competency-based learning. Maybe I should rephrase the question and, and ask about what's happening with with capability models and capability-based learning. But I mean, in general, I know that competency-based learning, that's a term that we tend to hear about. Are there any sort of trends or things happening in that area that, that you would like to note or, or think our listeners might be interested in? Well, I think first and foremost, competency models are becoming more known about and widely understood, which you know I see as a real positive. As we just spoke about, frameworks or models are, are really beneficial in that they can help us take complex information and make it easier to understand. And so, but sometimes that's not the case with competency models, right? Um, sometimes they have a lot of information and can be harder to digest in their complexity. So I think that one thing that I'm seeing is digital tools and technology are giving us an opportunity to really not only create these models or frameworks, but actually, you know, kind of give people an opportunity to drill into them and use them. And certainly that's something that we've done with our talent development capability model is it isn't just a static resource. It it does give you an opportunity to dive into particular areas and then actually go through and assess your current proficiency in each of the skill areas, which is a good example of the sort of increased focus on application. So competency models for many associations are frameworks for product development or standard setting, or we align certification programs to them. And none of that is changing. In fact, I only see that increasing. But I think with greater understanding of what the value of these models can bring, I think you're seeing kind of more intent toward making them very useful and really prioritizing the ability for somebody who's engaging with it to get, you know, sort of maximum value. So it's very, can be very empowering to that individual, as opposed to having the institution or the association, as in our case, you know, kind of just putting it out there for consumption. But in this way with the technology, you know, people are really able to kind of figure out the best ways to personalize or make the model most relevant for them. So if we pick up and look even kind of more broadly beyond competency models and kind of what's going on there, are there trends and developments in the space that 
you see as, you know, significant and sort of worth attention. And I'm, you know, just thinking very broadly of, you know, trends or developments in like learning science or learning products, learning technology, any of kind of, you know, these related fields. I think we're always going to see that, you know, there's going to be a revolving set of emerging trends in learning. Um, Learning technology has certainly been one that, you know, typically comes to mind. I'm loving the increased focus on understanding how the brain takes in information and then makes sense of it and performs those cognitive processes associated with learning. I think that is tremendously beneficial for anyone in a learning organization or a learning business business to really have is sort of like basic understanding if they're going to be developing experiences where, you know, we're trying to transfer learning and and ensure that, you know, somebody can do something differently as a result of that experience, right? So it's really core. Aside from, you know, those kind of things that we typically think of, those kinds of areas that we typically think of when when we talk about emerging trends, one of the things that we're seeing is that may not be as is typically thought of is is change management. As I mentioned previously, in our capability model, we have an opportunity for people to assess their proficiency in all of the areas of the model. And we consistently see that change management is an area of opportunity for talent development professionals. And so it is interesting if you consider that we have kind of been in the VUCA world, volatile, uncertain, complex, ambiguous. We talk about that a lot in, you know, the kind of management leadership landscape. I think what we're seeing with change management now is it's not just about, you know, sort of thinking about and planning for these kind of bigger changes in, you know, society or the workplace landscape. It's about how are we going to use our effective change management skills to keep the day-to-day moving while also ensuring that our organizations and our people continue to thrive. And that's a really challenging balance. And I think being able to plan for, facilitate, communicate, and navigate that change is just increasingly critical for talent development. So it is interesting when you pair that necessity with the fact that there are some areas or opportunities for development. Would you talk about what you see being the key components or factors that contribute to an effective learning ecosystem? There's so many things. (laughs) But I think the one that comes to mind immediately, Salisa, is is really about planning and thinking about how you can make your offering as diverse as possible. And what I mean by that is thinking about it's not a one-size-fits-all, and that's not what our our members, our learners are looking for anymore. You know, we talk a lot about in the learning space about learning in the moment of need. And so how are we considering, you know, where an individual might need to access information or a resource that learning provides us in the moment, all the way through to the other end of the spectrum, which could be a, you know, opportunity where, you know, a group of individuals are coming together to construct the learning from the ground 
ground up without, you know, sort of a formalized curriculum. I mean, there is a huge spectrum when we consider, you know, the types of learning opportunities or experiences that any one of our constituents could be looking for. And I think that a learning ecosystem, you know, in today's environment really needs to take that diversity into consideration in terms of what people will be looking for. Because I think when we do that, it leads to, to expanded access. It's, it's more flexible for people. It may enable them to engage where they might not otherwise be able to because they maybe have a time or a budget constraint. It also lends to personalization. So how can I configure a learning or professional development plan that is going to meet my needs? And that could be, I might want a short bite-sized, you know, kind of nugget of, of information from the learning in one day on one topic. And I might want something that's much more in-depth or formal on another topic, depending on, you know, kind of what I'm looking for, you know, from a, a skill or professional development perspective. You know, we're focusing kind of more on opportunities for collaboration and partnership, you know, so where you might have an association working with a university or a corporation to develop or deliver learning. Do you know of examples of kind of good collaborations or, or partnerships, or do you have any comments about what might go into making kind of effective partnerships or, or collaborations? Yeah, I think one thing that comes to mind on that is with the increased and very beneficial kind of emphasis on diversity, equity, inclusion, I think it becomes really essential for us to be thinking about ways to you know, kind of reach out and get access to information, um, a community of people, content, insights, thought processes that are outside of kind of what is maybe typical. So I just think broadly that we haven't necessarily seen what is to come there. And I do think that that is what's on the horizon. ATD is is doing some work on diversity, equity, and inclusion, and really trying to help equip talent development professionals with what they need in that area. And I think partnerships offer so much untapped potential, whether that is getting access to individuals who might not um, necessarily you know, have traditionally been involved with the association, for example, or, you know, just really considering how we can leverage partnerships to gain access to new insights, new content, new learning experiences that our audiences are looking for. And just, just really expanding that, like I said, that kind of like typical point of view and really, you know, bringing in new insights that are necessary to sort of offer a holistic view at, you know, whatever the topic that topic is that an individual will be looking to develop in. The other thing too, I'll say that is that for ATD, this often shows up in our global work. Um, and I think what we're seeing is, you know, certainly with um, the disruptions driven by the pandemic, I think we're seeing a lot of, you know, that the barriers to entry have lowered. Certainly, you know, um, the ability to kind of stand up an opportunity for people to convene or come together to learn, for example, in a virtual environment, maybe have less barriers than in the physical sense. So that I think is a tremendous opportunity for us to reach more people than we have before. What advice do you have for organizations that are in this business of lifelong learning, continuing education, professional development? What can they be doing to help ensure that they're going to thrive in the future? 
what I will say is directly born out of um, pain points and experiences that we have directly been impacted or influenced by data and technology. What I mean by that is it's figuring out how to harness both of those things in a way that enables you to achieve your strategy. And I think that that we give a lot of lip service to that. I think definitely with technology, but increasingly with being able to harness data. But I just can't emphasize it enough because so much of I think where we often are is, you know, time and resource challenged. And it can be very difficult to plan kind of our efforts around how do we ensure that we have the right customer insights or member insights or audience insights in order to not just you know, kind of plan for today, but really make sure that, you know, we're thinking years into the future. It takes, it's challenging. It takes a lot of expertise and time and planning to make sure that we're getting access to that data in a way that is, you know, aligned to the realities of the of the workday. So for example, when we're developing courses, there's so many data sources that we're looking at and sometimes competing information <laughs> um, to make decisions. So using data to make decisions and then being able to continuously look at that data and build a model that's agile enough to respond to those shifts. I think we all saw that with with the pandemic. So many of the things that maybe we held to be true in terms of learner preferences or, you know, things that our members and customers were looking for has just shifted overnight. And I, I think it has left us needing new ways to tap into the insights from the market. And then certainly, you know, from a technology perspective, I would say many of the same things, but um, what I think we're seeing is the need for an increased acumen around all things technology with the people that are designing, developing, delivering, and managing our learning products and experiences. And again, I think we talk about that a lot, so that's not necessarily new, but I think the most successful businesses, learning businesses in the future are are really figuring out not only how to kind of create that as a specialized skill set or go out and get the right vendors or systems that they need to, you know, kind of build the right learning technology infrastructure, but it's also building that capability within the people themselves that are driving the strategy. Courtney Vidal is the Vice President of Learning at the Association for Talent Development. You can learn more about ATD at td.org, and you can connect with Courtney on LinkedIn. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 293, you'll find links to the ATD site and Courtney on LinkedIn, along with full show notes, a transcript, and more. You'll also find options for subscribing to the podcast. To be in the know as soon as we release a new episode, we encourage you to subscribe. And subscribing also helps us get some data on the impact of the podcast. We'd be grateful if you'd take a minute to rate us on Apple Podcasts. Jeff and I personally appreciate the reviews and ratings, and they help the Leading Learning Podcast show up when people search for content on leading a learning business. Go to leadinglearning.com slash Apple to leave a review and rating. Lastly, please spread the word about Leading Learning. At leadinglearning.com slash episode 293, there are links to connect with us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook. Thanks again, and see you next time on the Leading Learning Podcast.